Hello and welcome to the Chasing Faith podcast. This is going to become a place for us to discuss issues of faith in a way that leads us towards a more authentic, open, honest, and generous expression of what we truly believe. I'm Brandon Batson. I'm the producer of this podcast and the Communications and Connections Director here at Christ Church in New York City. I'm here with your host, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Bauman, the Senior Minister here at Christ Church. Today we welcome to the podcast, Josh Scott. He is the lead pastor of Grace Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Josh has been a pastor for the last two decades. The focus of his work is reimagining, reframing, and reclaiming faith through a progressive Christian lens. Welcome Josh to the podcast. Okay, um, I'm really happy to welcome Josh Scott to Chasing Faith podcast. Um, this will be an interesting conversation, I, uh, one that it really interests me both personally as well as professionally, and it's a conversation that's important for the for the church writ large and how the church is going to be evolving over the next decades in the United States and beyond. So Josh, I'm really glad to welcome you. Thank you for joining us for conversation. Thanks so much for having me. And I perhaps want to let our listeners know why your, this conversation particularly intrigues me. Um, I read a whole lot of different media, probably like you, that crosses political spectrum and the religious conservative divide. I like to stay abreast with what's going on in the religious universe. And, um, and one of those media outlets that I pay attention to is called the Christian Post, which is the mouthpiece of a lot of fundamentalist and conservative evangelical uh, church and churches, and um, they posted an article about your church and about something you posted on Facebook. And maybe let me do this. Let me read a bit from that post so our listeners know what intrigued me and why this invitation got extended, okay? Um, so this article, and by the way, it was the top article, at least in the feed that I got for that day. A progressive national Nashville church has drawn the ire of the internet after sharing a message on social media declaring the Bible isn't the word of God, inerrant or infallible. Two Sundays ago, Grace Point Church, led by Pastor Josh Scott, shared a recap of the day's message on Facebook, discussing the Bible and the question, what is progressive Christianity? As progressive Christians, quote, we're open to the tensions and inconsistencies in the Bible. We know that it can't live up to impossible modern standards. We strive to more clearly articulate what scripture is and isn't, the church noted before stating what the Bible is and isn't. The Bible, the church said, isn't the word of God, self-interpreting, a science book, an answer rule book, inerrant or infallible. Rather, it is a product of community, a library of texts, multivocal, a human response to God, living and dynamic, unquote. And then in the article, it goes on to say, as of Wednesday evening, the post had attracted more than 1,200 emoji reactions along with 1,800 comments. 
you know, that that's a very good response, John. I just want to say, <laughs> I wish I got that many responses to anything I ever posted. <laughs> of the 1,200 emojis, more than half were angry faces. Just over 300 were laughing emojis, while more than 100 were sad faces. Just 157 approved of the post. <laughs> So that's the bit that, <laughs> that's the bit that intrigued me <clears throat> and um, and why I thought, gosh, this would be a fun conversation to have. And like I said, not unimportant um, given our, the current context of our Christian church and the Christian conversation taking place in our culture and all of that. Yeah. Um, by the way, how'd you feel about all of those? negative responses probably not a surprise i'm guessing um you know i would say this is not the first time uh, you know i've been a pastor for 20 years and um it's not the first time that i've dealt with controversy but it is um it's also not the first time i've said any of the things i said (laughs) and i said way more controversial things like two weeks before that that just didn't get picked up um but you know (laughs) last i heard they were this was like a week ago week and a half ago maybe almost two weeks ago, 600,000 people across our social media had seen the post, which yeah. was, I mean, yeah. I, so I've been through this before, just never on this scale, obviously, um, and was really kind of surprised at <laughs> at the response. There are a lot of people upset. There have been a lot of people who are grateful, a lot of people who have reached out just for conversation, which has been really great. Good. And presumably your church was fully supportive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so before we begin to unpack the theology of this conversation, I, I would like to invite you to tell your faith story, because part of what happens in this podcast is I like people to get down and dirty about how they got to be who they are, and in particular reference to their own spiritual evolution. So if you wouldn't mind, um, how, how'd you get to be who you are? Um, well, I grew, I was born and grew up in Eastern, like the Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia. It's a border town that depending on where you drove, you were in one state or the other. Um, and I, I grew up in a holler, um, which is a very technical <laughs> term. And um, my grandfather, uh, my, my maternal grandfather was a free will Baptist minister, mm-hmm. which is r- really different, at least for that particular branch of the free will Baptists than what others do like there was he wasn't a, like a paid pastor he was he was volunteer they, they elected a pastor and an assistant pastor every year so um but when i was 11 um I, his mom who um, we lived in between my great-grandmother and my grandparents and my pop and my my great-grandma were the my two people in the world and when i was 11 um in january she passed away and in July, my grandfather passed away. He had a massive heart attack during a church business meeting mm-hmm. um, right after somebody had told him that he was the problem and he should go, like literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people ask me, when did your faith start to shift and unravel? I'm like, well, when I was 11 and I, I'm witnessing like what the church, and in my mind, I followed away as if you're a pastor, the church will kill you. Um, right. That, that's just sort of the connection I made. <laughs> no, and right. um, so after yeah. he died, we, you know, a year or so later, we made the move. We became liberals and went to the Southern Baptist 
um, church. <laughs> just, it tells you every, I mean, we left a yeah. KJV only. You don't know who's going to preach when you show up on Sunday or what we're going to sing. The spirit whoa, does it whoa. all. No preparation yeah. to, you know, they have the Southern Baptist church had a printed program. You could see what was coming next. There was no mystery to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in that context that I, you know, started going to youth group when I was a teenager and around 17, I got invited to give, um, a Sunday night little devotional thing. The pastor was out of town. It was a youth service. And they asked me, and I was terribly shy, but also a people pleaser. And so like when they asked, I said yes. And then immediately started praying for like a stomach <laughs> virus or something to hit uh, just to get me out of this. I didn't want to do it. But I gave this like 11 minute sermon on John 3.16. And I, I wouldn't stand by that sermon now, but I'll stand by the experience. Because something happened in that moment for me that was this surprised me because I just, I finished and I just wanted to, I wanted to give another sermon. I wanted to, there was just something in me that lit up with that experience. And so um, I started my first church pastor gig uh, of my home, Southern Baptist Church, when I was the interim pastor at age 19. And then um, ended up switching colleges, moving away a few hours, um, did campus ministry in college, pastored a church that went terribly for a year, my senior year, and then ended up at a little church, well, big for the town, but little church in uh, rural Kentucky, where I was at for 14 years before I came to Grace Point. And it was during that period of time, uh, I started there when I was around 23. Uh, During that period of time, those first several, several years, I was actually on the fly. My faith was unraveling and I'm trying to give sermons, but I'm also trying to be authentic and not say something I can't stand behind. And so that I'm sure I know it was traumatic for some of the people in the church because there'd just be times of like, I don't know. I got nothing. I don't know what that means. Um, Can you say a word? Can you say a bit more about it when you say faith was on the fly and you mm -hmm. were your faith was coming unraveling was your phrase? Yeah. What what precipitated that? Well, I think it started, you know, just with sort of the narrative that I had grown up with, you know, that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. If God's on your side, you're safe, right? Yeah. Um, and so that started it when I was 11. But then it was, you know, it was just paying attention. I took some religion classes in college, and they warned me about those. I was told, you know, <laughs> you can't, you can't do that. You can't yeah, take those yeah, classes. Yeah. It's a slippery slope. And yeah. uh, I remember my freshman year of college. It would have been the fall of 1999. I went into this class, and in walks a. Um, presby- a woman who is also a Presbyterian minister to teach us Hebrew Bible. And coming out of Southern Baptist world, there were so many things in this category I did not understand. But I knew <laughs> right. like I'm, I've been placed here to, to make sure nobody is deceived and to maybe win her to the Lord. And let's just see what happens. <laughs> um, yeah, you got to puri- purify her theology, right? right? <laughs> and it turns out that she's the one who won me to the Lord. And um, it it was one of those things where I just started learning and it it was really, it wasn't like I left the Bible. It was actually, the more I read the Bible, the more questions I had because I'd never been taught to read it as a grown up. I'd always been taught to, you know, it was sort of flannel graft and the the stories were pretty cut and dry. But when you actually got into those things and you started reading them, you're like, oh, there's so many different things going on here. And some of the details are or challenging one another. And so I just got really excited about the Bible and they were right about the slippery slope. It was a slippery slope, but it was more like a slip and slide, right? One of those things where you lay a tarp down and you put Dawn dishwashing liquid and you just go, 
Um, and it was, it was, it was terrifying in a sense because, um, I mean, and I would say anybody who goes through any sort of, and I don't really like the deconstruction reconstruction metaphor anymore because it, it to me, mm-hmm. just creates more problems than it solves. But when somebody's faith has de, you know, I, li- I like organic metaphor. Like if your faith is decomposed and composted, like there, nobody does that because it's like just the easy thing to do. Um, everybody I know who's been through this has experienced some significant losses, whether that's economically or professionally or relationally. But I was at the point where I just, I was reading the Bible and I was so excited about what I was learning. And it, it, then I hit the point of no return. Then I'm a pastor and I'm standing up every week having to tell people about it. And I'm trying not to say anything false that I know to be like, not how it is in my mind, or at least in my understanding. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just, how, how do we talk about, how do I talk about the cross? How do I talk about resurrection? How do I talk about miracles? How do I talk about any of this stuff when I'm not, you know, at the time I'm going, I'm not sure about anything. What do you do when you're not sure about anything? You, you do as little as possible and, and try to make it <laughs> inspirational in some way. But, but so, you know, I, I remember in my twenties, just really being felt like this tug of war between being the pastor everybody expected me to be and saying the things everybody expected me to say, and then being honest and authentic about where I, where I was and what I couldn't say and could say. And I mean, it was all just, it's amazing how something can be exhilarating and terrifying uh, at the same time. Was your, was your environment giving you a lot of pushback? Not, you know, I'll say not at first because I, I think I did what a lot of people do, which is, say things in such a way that whoever's in the room can hear them through whatever lens they want. Yeah. Which is if it's a, if it's a, you know, somebody who's on the progressive journey, they're going to hear it like that. Somebody on the conservative journey, they're going to hear it like that, which ended up, I think in the long run, it was a disservice to people because Mm. it allowed people to stick around for 10 years when I'd been saying this for 10 years and they finally heard what I was really saying. And they were like, Whoa, we're out. So if I could go back, but I also don't know it in my twenties, if I could have even said it another way, I thought I knew everything, but now I know 20 years later, I'm like, kid didn't know anything. Yeah. 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 I get that. So, so what happened? You, uh, you stayed pastoring. Yeah, I stayed. And, uh, you know, there was so many times over the years, if you talk to the people who are closest to me, they'll tell you that I have quit so many times over the years, like just on a Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, like I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I can do something else with my life. I have no idea what I have very few skills, but I can find <laughs> something else to do. <clears throat> but there was always something that just kept bringing me back. And part of it was just that I, I love theology. I love preaching. I love the Bible. But the other part was I, I did begin as I began to be more honest and it actually happened in a, the context of a conversation with our leaders where eventually I just sat down with our, we had elders at that church is what they were called. And I just sat down with them and then just in a meeting and I laid everything out. Like, this is where I am today. I don't know where I'll be tomorrow, but this is where I am today. This is what I think about things. This is what I think about LGBTQ plus inclusion. This is what I think about atonement. This is it. And so I just laid it out and I basically said, look, if this, this, if this isn't the journey this church is needs to take, then I understand, but it is the journey I have to take. So I'm willing to resign and you can find somebody else who will take you where you feel like. And and to a person, to my recollection, everybody was like, no, we want to go on this journey. Now, very few of them actually wanted to go on this journey. 
and they bailed out along the way. Um, right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I did feel like at that point I owed the church, I owed the leadership a chance to say, no, this is not our thing. This is your thing. And, you know, go in peace and do something else. But, you know, they said they want to go. And so, I mean, the church was, by, by the, my time leaving there, the church was smaller, but <laughs> significantly, but it was also, um, I don't know, it, it had made the journey well, um, generally. Was it Southern Baptist? So it was not non-denominational, right? But it was from Southern Baptist. Right. Like it was founded out of some people from leaving a Southern Baptist <clears throat> right. church. Um, and, you know, non-denominational right. churches really do tend to, the majority of them tend to be pretty fundamentalist theologically. Yeah. Um, yeah. They just, you know, have right. hazers and fog machines and stuff. Right. And sometimes <laughs> they hide the they hide the theology behind the mm-hmm. lasers <laughs> yeah. and fog. Yeah. <laughs> the theology <laughs> Don't is Don't pay fog, attention. Put it that way. Look, look at the lights. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, eventually you found your way to Grace Point Church in Nashville. Um, Tell me a bit about that and Grace Point. Just situate yourself right in the moment. So I first became aware of Grace Point in 2014. Um, We were hosting at the the church I was pastoring. We were hosting Brian McLaren the following spring. And so Mm -hmm. uh, I found out, I was was just kind of looking on Brian's website and found out he was going to be in Nashville. Um, and, uh, you know, it was like an hour and a half away. So we, I called Grace Point's office and said, hey, I'm a pastor from Kentucky. Got a few people who want to come. Is that cool? So we went down and then I met the founding pastor who was still leading at the time, Stan Mitchell. And we had a, con- you know, we sort of became friends. And the Grace Point went through their process of becoming affirming around the same time we were doing that same thing. And so the relationship was just kind of created there. And, um, our, you know, he would come speak up in Kentucky or there's the Grace Point assistant pastor at the time would come up and speak. And we just had a great relationship. And so when Stan decided it was, it was in 2018 when Stan decided that it was time for him to transition out. Um, I was also um, wrestling with that same decision of I've led, you know, I led this church through a lot. I have so much baggage. Um, It's like going out in the community. Most people wouldn't speak to me because either they'd been to our church and, or, or they thought I was a heretic. And so it just got like, you know what, I I think I have whatever amount of leadership, you know, currency I've built up over 14 years, I've spent it all. And I don't think I'm the person who can take this thing from where it is now. Like we had it, we we did the good hard work now, but how do you take it forward? And I just didn't think that I Mm. could do it. Just, just asking again, were you getting a lot of energy from the wider community directed at you? Yeah, especially negative when, energy, especially when it re- I mean, it was always I mean, people always I mean, just on the fact that MCC was the, it's the name of the church uh, would do like um, contemporary music. I mean, in the beginning, that was it. And, you know, they practiced open yeah. communion and you could wear blue jeans like that. In the beginning, it was that at the end, it really yeah. was theological as we right. continue to, you know, I, I remember in 2017, after Trump was inaugurated, um, when he first was enacting a, the Muslim ban, I, mean, I wrote a blog post about you know what I thought about it, and 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 uh, it got shared quite a bit. And people I didn't even know from the community were like, "This guy should go jump in a lake." Uh, and <laughs> and so yeah, I mean, a couple of times people have taken pictures of themselves holding certain weapons and you know posted them online in relationship to something I've said. 
So, I mean, that's why what, what, what's happened recently is not new. It's just, it's scale. <laughs> um, mm. you know, a few thousand people. At any time, were you, af- sorry. At any time, were you afraid? afraid At any no. time, were you afraid? Like afraid of no. okay. like my, my own well-being. Your physical, or, for physical harm. No, yeah. No, no. Okay. No, I, you know, the, I was never really, a, like, there was a fear of, gosh, if I keep pushing this, what if I lose my job? Hmm. But there was also the, I've got to be able to sleep at night and I can't say things I don't believe in. And so it was sort of the, the sense of conviction outweighed any other cost at that point. Yeah. No, I really respect that. That's important. So, so you made the transition to uh, Grace Point, mm-hmm. and t- tell me about that church a bit, just to, so we have yeah. an idea. Um, I started on I started at Grace Point on Easter of 2019. In hindsight, I'm like, who picks Easter to start? Like, there's already so much, so much pressure, right? Like, that's the Super Bowl. So there's so right. much pressure, and then you're like, oh, this is also the first sermon I'm going to give as the lead pastor here. Um, mm. but, so Grace Point, you know, it began as sort of your, your typical evangelical church. Um, and during the process, uh, lots of people, you know, the pastor, Stan Mitchell and others were beginning to experience that sort of unraveling in a way and, and just reading and engaging around things. And it really was in 2015 when they issued the, um, inclusion statement for the community that, that that's really where the movement for Grace Point to become a, a progressive community was kicked into high gear. And um, so, you know, that process has gone on for now uh, five or six years. Um, Grace Point's been through a lot. I mean, they, when, of course there was, you know, there were consequences of all the decisions that were made. Um, and so at one point in 2018, Grace Point, you know, we were down uh, to about 40 people meeting in a, a unity church's space on a Saturday or Sunday night. And then made the transition to Nashville from Franklin. We were in Franklin, uh, Tennessee, and then we made the transition to Nashville. And that's I came in. They they went to Nashville in October, and I started in April. Um, so I mean that the Grace Point has been on a journey in so many different areas over the course of the last five or six years. Mm. And where are you meeting now? What kind of place? Um, on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so we were <laughs> well okay true 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 enough <laughs> any any in person any in person um, for you guys no we're actually having uh, our first in person we had an in person like socially distanced meetup at a park in september and we were planning one for october and the cases just exploded um yeah. we are going to do an easter egg thing together our first in person thing in the process of all this we lost our space we were meeting in and so yeah. we're still trying to lock down because I'm, I'm hopeful that if things keep going well, maybe we could even be having some sort of in-person gatherings by the summer. So we're still in the, pro- our leadership team is still in the process of locating that next space mm-hmm. and looking forward to that. We, gotcha. But, you know, we have such a commitment now to the online portion of it. We have people from all over the country and all over the world who join us on Sunday mornings, um, mm-hmm. which has just been an incredible, incredible thing to experience. And just seeing that, Lots and lots of people, there, there are lots of progressive Christians in the world. Most of them exist yes. in a place where there is no such thing as a progressive Christian church. Mm-hmm. And so they think they're on their own out here. I mean, even through all this, you know, this kerfluffle that we've been a part of, we've met all kinds of people who needed uh, a community to, to be safe and to explore their faith in. And so for all the, you know, all the 
nastiness that's happened online. There have been some really beautiful things behind the scenes. How important do you think the word progressive is? I note that you actually stipulate that you're a progressive Christian community on your website and so on. Uh, we being part of a regular denomination, regular denomination, although we're going through our own birth pangs, aren't we? We're going to be schisming sh shortly over the issue of sexuality. Yep. Um, but we don't, while we, while we can use the word progressive in a variety of ways, we don't have that as an official moniker. I'm kind of curious about that. You have it as part of your flag, you know? Yeah. And it is essentially, <laughs> I think, and it could cut both ways, but I think one of the things that does, it, def it lets people know what kind of community this is, right? Because that word says in this community, we are open to a continual revisioning of what we believe in and, and how we do church. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, there are times when people, people may think, look, some people think the word progressive means they have a band. I've met people yeah. who think oh. that's what it means. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So I know. Right. giving words content, you know, <clears throat> it's important. And so I think for us, it is just a way to make sure people know at least on the front end, a little bit about what you're getting into. Hmm. And, 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 you know, it's impossible. There is no such thing as Christianity. There are only Christianities. Um, that's why right. there are like 36,000 denominations. And the same thing is true in the progressive world. There are, there is no such thing as just progressive Christianity. There are progressive Christian Christians and progressive Christian churches. And I don't even know that on every issue, if we sat down with everybody who's a part of Grace Point and affiliated with us from Nashville or anywhere else in the world, that we would all like have perfect congruency around every right. issue. I mean, right, certain yeah. major ones we do, but um, yeah. So for us, it's I think it's just tent. a way of letting people know. The, you say I big guess tent? part of mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. part of it is that it's also used politically. So you know we have progressives in the political world, sure. and then we have progressives in the religious world, and it's hard to decouple those things in people's minds. It seems to me, but maybe you don't care. I'm kind of curious about that. Um. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, I, you know, I think that every movement is a little, is, is unique in a sense. So I'm sure there are, you know, I mean, what I would say is as a, as a Christian, um, I, I think we should be very careful to completely align ourselves with any sort of nationalist agenda. I, I think mm -hmm. it's actually anti-gospel, anti-kingdom. So, you know, I, 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 and I try to make sure we're very clear of that, like we are aggressively, um, I would say ag aggressively about justice, right? Like not just sitting around and saying, well, vote for yes. like, like we're concerned with how do we make the world better? And mm. we're willing to, I'm willing to work with other people who maybe even we have some disagreements about things, but if we can create a better world, let's do that. So, mm. yeah, it doesn't, I mean, people at the end of the day, I found out people are going to think what they want. Um, and when you have the opportunity, and that's what I've been trying to do, is that's why I interviewed with the Christian Post when they reached out, is a dear friend told me once that criticism is an opportunity to clarify your message. And yes, so of course. for us, this has been a very sort of, here's what, here's, what I mean, here's what we mean, here's what we don't mean. Because there's a lot of assumptions people make about, like, about how I view the Bible, for example, because of what I said in that sermon that I think are like completely out of left field assumptions to make. Well, since you bring that up, how do you think about the Bible? <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> in a I, thumb, give me a give me a thumbnail. Yeah, I love the Bible. Yes. Um, 
my life has been dedicated to the study, to engaging. To I mean, I've learned dead languages to be able to understand it better. <laughs> um, spent way too much money learning dead languages so I could understand it better. Um, so I, I love the Bible. It's a part of my daily life and not just in the sense of, well, I got to have something to say on Sunday. Um, it's something I read because sometimes I, I think it wants to say something to me. So I, I engage the Bible every day. I love it. I always tell people when I bring some sort of critique or um, if I say something about the Bible, I don't say it as an enemy. I say it as a friend. Because mm. I think some of the ways we have been taught to think about the Bible in America, specifically in the evangelical world I grew up in, are actually puts the Bible behind the eight ball. And it, it puts expectations on the Bible that the Bible can't bear because it wasn't intended to bear them. Um, and so I have a deep, I would say my pastoral impulse and hope in all this is, I tell people this all the time, If I have meet so many people who've been wounded by the Bible. It's been weaponized against them and it's caused a lot of trauma. There are some people who talk to me about that and I just end up telling them, I agree with you. You need to stay away from the Bible for a while, maybe forever. It's been painful for you. You can be a faithful Christian. You can follow Jesus. Christians did it you know, for 300 years or so before we had a Bible. You'll be fine. Um, but my hope is that for people who have been wounded by the Bible and yet they feel such a deep grief around not being able to have sort of engaged that and, and, and they want it to not be a source of wounding, but a source of healing. Like those are the people who I think, I, I think, I think that we can do that because I think that the way the Bible was, you know, used and seen um, is part of the damage. And, and I don't think that, I just think we've added all sorts of layers onto this thing that the Bible or the writers of the Bible who didn't know they were writing the Bible, they would, it would be foreign to them. Yeah. I mean, I, I was talking to Steve about this offline earlier you know, I, just to echo everything you've said about the environments that you grew up in, very similar to how I grew up. I was in evangelical megachurch Christianity as a worship leader for 15 years. And actually, you know, I say took the escape hatch a year and a half ago to come work at uh, Christ Church. And so, like, I, I resonate with almost everything you've said from being up there leading worship thinking i don't know that i believe any of this but i now have to sing a song about jesus hanging on a cross bloody and you're going to be washed in his blood yeah you, you no. know what i mean um so i mean i've been there i have i have lived it and i really resonated with everything you said and what i my one of my questions is you know a lot of us and and i consider myself extremely lucky in this but there are but a part of this group is people who've been hurt by certain interpretations of scripture and are in some ways triggered by scripture. Um, how can they approach it in a new way with new eyes? And I've even been asking myself this question because I desire, like you said, like I respect scripture. I know it's important. I've spent thousands of dollars of, of my own money trying to learn more about it. But sometimes I'm even triggered by reading it. And, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering how you teach people in your community. And this is also a question for Steve, too, about how do you approach Scripture with those new eyes when you've grown up in such a regressive way of looking at it? So, so when I started at Grace Point, there had been a lot of guest speakers, and that hadn't been very Bible-heavy. And mm -hmm. my sermons are 
almost every week my sermon comes from some sort of interaction with the text. I mean, there may be a couple weeks I'm talking more thematically where I don't have a specific text, but generally I do. And there were some, there were a few people when I first started who were like, Hey, is this going to be a regular thing that you're going to be reading out of the Bible? Is that? <laughs> and, uh, and so like, you know, in some ways, you know, I, I was like, okay, I, I want to help people. And, and some of those very people have come back now and they're so energized around the Bible and they're so excited to learn more about it. But I think before we can actually begin to help people with the, with the interpretation side of things, like, you know, I, I've been doing series um, called um, Bible Stories for Grownups for years now, and because I think that we're taught as kids how to see a story, but we never end up gr- growing up and learning how to see it in all its complexity and context. And so, you yeah. know, I do series like that that people find helpful. But I think before you can even jump into that, we have to spend some time, which is part of what I was doing because we have so many new people that Sunday was let's talk about the lens through, through which we see all this stuff. What, what is, what is our narrative? Mm. Um, how, what, what is the Bible? And then maybe that necessitates what isn't it. And then we can begin to say, well, if this is what the Bible is, then this is our entry point to it. And we can begin to read it, engage with it, ask questions about it. Um, and so I, I try to do that in several ways. We have, like I'm doing right now the, on one Sunday night a month, we're meeting on Zoom and I'm, I, I taught Hebrew Bible um, adjunct at a university. And some people are like, hey, you've done this before. Can we just, we want the college class sort of intro to the Hebrew Bible. Can we do that? And so I actually have seen, it's so funny because, you know, people have such a, a, a caricature of what it means to be a progressive Christian. I've seen such an uptick in people who are <laughs> interested in the Bible, who want to learn more about it, who want to engage mm-hmm. it. And um, so that to me is very exciting. I, I have these kind of conversations all the time and I don't sleep very well because I'm so excited. <laughs> right. Actually, the way you described it is is not dissimilar from from what I tell people at the start of any Bible study as well. And it, I, I situated in the question of authority. <clears throat> I said, there's an argument going on in the church about how the Bible is authoritative. And I want to... I want that up front and center for you mm-hmm. as we're engaging the text. Let's keep that alive. How is the Bible, how is the text um, authoritative? And to your point earlier about how everyone has a narrative about this, that your narrative is, is e- they're all equal narratives in some ways and what that we bring. They all might not ultimately be true or point to the truth, but they're all valid as we pers- as we engage this text seeking for wisdom. Mm, Um, The other thing I say is it's not a dead text. It's an alive text. It's meant to be, you you don't just take this like a two-dimensional object and then you think you have it. It's more like a deep pool where you jump in and you swim around. Sometimes you're drowning and sometimes you stick your head up out and get another breath of air and then you swim you, you, you get on for another swim you know that kind of thing so that people understand that it's a a living breathing thing as opposed to a dead piece of information yeah. to beat you up with <laughs> I, I agree i agree a hundred percent and the way i described it and uh, so, uh i've been writing a series on my uh, Substack called biblical proportions where i'm just sort of walking through some of this but the way i described it was that this way of seeing the bible that i've sort of come up settled in at this point, at least Um, it took a two dimensional text and made it, you know, 4k HD 
Right. <laughs> and, and brought it to life in a way and it actually impacts my life in a way that it didn't before. Before it was just sort of this, this flat thing you couldn't interact with. I mean, you just read it and then you, you try to do what it says or you, you know, the main thing is to believe what it says, right. Whether you do it or not. Um, and I just think there's, there's a more exciting, engaging way to connect with the Bible. I think that's the, the issue you're talking about with changing the lens with which you look at it yep. through because so many people that you know we've been talking about this whole time have been told their entire lives that this book is magic and it contains all of the answers to life's problems um, that you know you can look in there you can find the answer to everything and and people like me people like you it never delivered it never delivered on that promise for me. <laughs> Um, that I could find every answer that I was looking for, that I could find, you know, the solution to all of my problems. It never was. It was always way more complex. I'm like, there's got to be something more to this. And it wasn't until I changed that lens that I was able to see like, wow, this is actually much deeper and actually speaks into my daily life in a way that believing that way about scripture never was able to take me there. Yeah. And I know this will be controversial. Um, but it's, I think it's, I think inerrancy, you can make a case that the whole inerrancy doctrine actually ends up being a low view of scripture. Because oh, I it, agree, Hunter. Oh, I've absolutely. thought that for decades, Josh. For decades. What it does is it says, it's squashing it. if this doesn't fit into our, if, if one thing about this is wrong, then it's worthless. And if mm. it, so, you know, I think what we're trying to do with inerrancy is we're putting an expectation on the Bible that it can't bear. It's not meant to. And I think that we have come to the Bible with deep platonic, meaning uh, from Plato, (laughs) this Greek Mm -hmm. philosophy system that as as Christianity left the womb of Judaism, as it spread throughout the world, as when Mm -hmm. when Constantine converted Christianity, because I think it's important to say Constantine wasn't converted. He's the one who did the converting. That whole interaction and all the councils and creeds that came after it were born out of a platonic understanding of what perfection is and its ideal. And if it falls below this category, then it ceases to be worth some. And that's why people are like, well, I guess you don't believe it's inerrant. So you don't you just think it's worthless and you don't use it. Who said that? I didn't say that. (laughs) I I think for me, the Bible is more interesting and more important for the community than because it invites our participation. And I think inerrancy and that sort of belief also sort of abdicates us of our responsibility to keep the story going because it's not like we're learning our part to go act it. We're just saying, Hey, we just read it. That's all we got to do. Couldn't agree more. Inerrancy actually, the way I think of it, it, we were talking about the dimensionality of scripture. Inerrancy squishes it into a, into a wafer Mm -hmm. and it's, and it's meant to be, a grand buffet, you know. Yep. It's, yep. <laughs> I mean, for years and years, I thought I was losing my faith because of this. You right. know, like I, I was in utter, absolute torment week after week, thinking like, "Well, I'm just lost because I don't believe this." You know, like at the core of my being, when I'm alone, I don't believe this, and I don't think it's right. And so, I mean, I just in utter torment for years until I found a community of people. Like you're saying, like there are people signing on to your services, to our services on Sunday now that for the first time are like, oh, there are people that believe something mm-hmm. different from what I've been told my whole life about this book. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. 
And I don't know, Brandon, for you, if you were told this, but I was always told, well, if you've got a problem with the Bible, it's the problem is you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying. And, and the other thing is, if you don't believe in inerrancy and the Bible is the literal word of God, then you are not a Christian and there are no such thing as progressive Christians. And I'm over here going, right. I exist. Yeah. I love the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a progressive Christian. We're real. <laughs> Right, right. Well, this conversation and what you said, Brandon, also begs the question of what the content of faith is. You said, I lost my faith because I was not believing the Bible was inerrant. Well, those, mm. the funny thing about that in my book is, is that, that those two things don't belong together in the same sentence. Faith sure. is one thing. Believing that there's such a thing as inerrancy is quite another so, but yeah, I right. do think what happens, I've been in conversation with enough people with the histories that you guys have, that I recognize that those things are often conflated in in the teaching of the church so that you yes. stay, so Completely you stay, attached. yeah, so you stay attached, right? And, and that's an abuse. That's a, the, yeah, you're right. It is an abuse. Sorry to cut you off. I agree. No, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Go ahead. Know, I, yeah. I, I just think this whole it puts this level of, I mean, I always thought that what it meant to be a Christian was to confess Jesus was Lord. Yeah. <laughs> like, but now it's Jesus is Lord and the Bible's inerrant. Like I, I that's what it's been. I mean, it literally, and, and I haven't been reading a lot of comments because, uh, yeah. Um, but even some of the emails I get are, are deeply, the Bible is, and people will quote John one to me, like, see the Bible's the word of God. And I'm like, it's talking about a person. It's not talking about a text. It's talking about flesh and blood. But it's, it, and I think it goes mm. back to people who do the work we do in the world who have been afraid to be honest with their communities. Um, mm -hmm. And then there are those who, you know, were raised under leadership that was afraid. And so they just believe what their pastor believed and what they heard. And now they're preaching it. But most of us who were trained have bumped up against this stuff before and shouldn't be shocked by it. It, it's a it's a real sort of like we pastors sometimes will leverage their own um, economic expediency over being honest with the people they lead. Well, that's that's exactly right. And I ha I mean, I hate to admit it, but that was me for a long time. I'm like, what else am I going to do? You know, and if I if and if I come out with how I really feel, I'm not only going to lose my job, I'm going to lose my community. I'm going to lose a lot more than just a paycheck. Oh, yeah. And there, and and I'm sure that you know this, and I'm sure you have friends who are in these environments today and feel at least seventy five percent of the way that we do about any any issue. You know, LGBTQ uh, equality in the church, open communion, you know, uh, inerrancy. But they are deep in these environments. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, you know. I never would, but I could name you worship leaders who stand up on a stage in front of 20,000 people on Sunday mornings that feel exactly the same way that we do. Um, and, you know, but I understand, like, I've been there. I understand where they're at at the same time because it's, um, I mean, it's their life, you know? Yep. Uh, Josh, I'm kind of curious. You're, who goes to your church? Uh, meaning... Is it mostly people that we're now talking about who've been burned or or just left wanted? They grew up in sh in the in the uh, conservative environment and then just want to break out. Yeah, it, who's who's coming? 
I, you know, I think it's an interesting mix of people. There's definitely a good chunk of those, um, you know, a, a, a sizable amount um, of our community is made up of LGBTQ folks mm-hmm. who, um, you know, have definitely been wounded and mistreated by the church throughout their lives. We have, you know, former evangelicals. We have a, a good chunk of, for, of people who were raised Catholic. Um, it's really, and we have people who've never been to church at all who are, mm-hmm. um, but who have still been put off by church because of the, you know, I, I always, I, I, people quote the whole, the way is narrow. Okay. I don't think it's what Jesus meant. I don't, I don't think he's saying, I think he's talking <laughs> about something else. I don't think he's saying, if you rethink your faith, then you're not following the narrow way. I mean, to repent literally means to change your mind. So right. every time somebody comments on something to me that says repent, I'm like, I did. That's what got me here. I just <laughs> did the very thing you're telling me to do. You know, just I, all I did was right. read the Bible and engage it. And here I am. <laughs> I, I, I'm a progressive Christian, mm. not in spite of the Bible, but because of it. Mm. What is worship like at Grace Point? And how does Bible fit into it? Yeah. So, I mean, in some ways, I think what we do at Grace Point brings the best of sort of our evangelical past, meaning that, you know, our our music is exciting and it's really, I mean, we are in Nashville, so it's really, really good, you know, <laughs> really, yeah. really talented yeah. people. But the thing we don't bring with it is is manipulation and fear. Um, oh, shucks. Yeah, I know, what's right? Church, what's church without that? <laughs> How do you even take up an offering? I mean, my goodness. Um, but, you know, it, what I love about it is it feels really, you know, what, at least when we were in person, it still does online. I mean, our team has done an incredible job at creating online experiences that have still been really meaningful for people, especially with all that's happened in the last year. I mean, today is the anniversary of the tornado in Nashville. And, you know, we, we did that mm. and then we immediately were shutting down because of COVID. And I mean, it's just been, mm. it's just been a crazy year. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's music, there's some time for fellowship. There's a sermon. I mean, it's, it's pretty, I mean, it's not like out of the ball, uh, out of the ordinary as far as gathering up. It's just, there's a, there's an energy this community brings. And I think there's just for a lot of people, such a gratitude to find a place where the fullness of their humanity and whatever that means Right, even if it's just down to I've got doubts and I don't believe I don't believe a good chunk of this stuff. <laughs> you know, am I welcome? Mm-hmm. So I think across the board, there's just this. We're all so glad to have found each other, and there, mm-hmm. there's just a a joy brimming under the surface for me almost always when we're together, um, because it, it really is. Uh, I think it's a place. I think Grace Point's a healing place for people who have been wounded. And I, I love using, um, and I, I don't actually don't like the language of using the Bible. I think that's part of what got us into this mess. We use the Bible a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for our own ends. But I think being able to take a story in the Bible and being able to reimagine it and not in an unfaithful way, not in a way that says, well, here's, a, yeah, this story actually meant that, but now I'm going to change it because we want to hear it differently. But an actual mm-hmm. going back to the roots of the story and, and really engaging it and then being able to say, look, some of the ways this was used was used out of context, and it was used to prop up power, and it was used to marginalize a specific group of people, and we can come back to this, do the hard work around it, and we can actually find something good, beautiful, and true that actually can function in a healing way for us. And I love, I love when that happens. Mm-hmm. I just love it. 
Would it be safe to say that a core tenant is Jesus is Lord? The first creed, is that the creed of of uh, Grace Point? Um, I don't know that we have that written down anywhere. It's definitely how we, it's definitely how I approach things like to say, which is to say Caesar is not, which right. is to say the way empire has polluted what became our Christian tradition that we inherited has, a, we have a lot of untangling to do. I mean, some of the very ways we've been taught to read the Bible, and if I can just go on a brief tangent, this is sort of the thing sure. that I've been obsessed with the last <laughs> couple of weeks is, you know, we've, I've been taught, I was taught to read parables, going to a parable and reading it and saying, well, there's a wealthy landowner who goes on a journey. That's God, right? Because this is the powerful person <laughs> in the story. That's got to be God. And then there's this, this slacker who does nothing with what he was entrusted with and he gets kicked out. There's weeping and ash. Well, that's obviously people, sinners and people like us who don't, you know, use it or lose it with our spiritual gifts. We're going to get in trouble. And I just made this switch of let's, let's say we take the person that let's, Let's assume the person in power in the story isn't God because the person in power often acts in ways that are, I think, deeply incongruent with the character of God. And let's assume the person who's getting kicked out right. is Jesus. And then read that story. Empire has affected everything about the way, especially in America, where um, those two things have just been, I mean, we've got a founding father study Bible. we got a problem. Right. I mean, so I think that Jesus is Lord is a pushback. And I think everything we talk about is a pushback on that empire converted Christian tradition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we're coming up close to an hour and that's about what we're striving for. Um, I'm wondering, um, what you think the church is going to, how the church is going to involve, evolve, or perhaps a better way to say it would be, um, or ask it, what are going to be the pressure points post-pandemic for the church moving into the its next phase? Well, how are you reading the tea leaves on that? Yeah, uh, I, I think what the past, I mean, look, look the past four years have revealed a lot they're, they've been apocalyptic in a way, and, and this pandemic has. By apocalyptic, I mean that in the literal sense of the word. It just It's revealed something going on below the surface, behind the scenes. And the way the dominant church has responded to this pandemic, I think has, at least in some places, has caused a lot of people to lose what little faith they had left in the church uh, in some places. So I think, I, I think this is a moment when somebody with actual good news can make a difference when when a, when communities that say you you don't have to check your head or your heart at the door you can bring them both in and bring them together that who who you love and who you are is not just something we're going to permit it's you are someone we're going to celebrate and include um, mm. this this whole Christian nationalist movement has to be condemned and um, and, and this white supremacy needs to be. Crushed. Yeah, it needs to be crushed. Along with yeah. white supremacy, misogyny, homophobia. And I think churches that end up coming down, like, I, I really do think, to, whatever you want to do with the word progressive, but the kind of faith we've been talking about is not going mm -hmm. to be on the margins forever. It is the future of Christianity, if Christianity has a future in America. 
It is through a lens that is ever expanding, ever growing, ever repenting, changing our minds, learning, adapting, moving forward. I, I think the future is there, not in sort of the loudest voices um, that are condemning entire groups of people and questioning science and, you know, selfishly putting their own ne- desires at, above what the common good for everybody around them. Oh, I yeah. think you're right because... I, I, w- I told Steve this the other day. I said a lot of marriages have ended during the pandemic because people had already decided they wanted one. And now they were like, I have to get one or I'm stuck in, in the house with this person, you know? And the same thing has happened in church. I have so many friends who've been in this place for years, but just were, were so addicted to the community of these churches that they were just hanging on because, you know, well, my best friends go there and their kids go there. And, you know, that whole thought process, well, that's done. People have made a place on Sunday mornings for other things now. And so I think, but, but all of those feelings around spirituality still exist. And the churches that open their doors to talking about these things, I think are going to see people come back in a way that I, a, I hope we're prepared for you know, and, and yeah. that's and and that's what you know. Me and Steve have been talking about, but uh, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I go ahead. I was going to say, I think a couple other things. I think that I mean, I've had several friends whose churches have just closed during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I think for a good chunk of churches, uh, figuring out what a sustainable, I mean, financing looks like. How do we how do we finance our movement? Um, I think there's going to have to be some creativity there. Um, our community has been super generous and I'm so grateful. Um, but I think that all, anybody doing this work, e- even in conservative circles, I think would say the way we've oh, been yeah. doing it for a long, long time now probably isn't going to be the way we can do it to remain sustainable in the future. So I don't have it's any answers about system. that. It's a dead system. Yeah. No, th- it's a dead structure. Yep. The thoughtful people know this, know this. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they do. I mean, it doesn't take a, a doesn't take a lot of study to realize <laughs> this thing that we've built is is just not sustainable for the, in the next iteration of church. Yep. Mm. It's all got it now. Interestingly enough, the United Methodists, since we are going to schism, um, <clears throat> it has an opportunity to um, reformulate its institutional life in a way that you know I, I'm not holding out great hope for that, but I am holding out some hope that from an institutional side of it. But you know, a vast majority of these small churches can't exist any longer under the current economic models. It's just not a tenable uh, formula. Yep. Mm, right. I agree. You know, also people on fa- the, the comment, Brandon, to your point, the comment I've seen again and again from people is, you know, I haven't been in church in years. I don't know that I'll ever go back, but if I did, it would be to that kind of church. Yes, which, right. which, oh, which I, means I, I, they're they're not ruling it out. <laughs> you know, I just let me share let me share this because I just this morning went to a doctor's appointment, and uh, it was a very uh, I, ne- I had never been to this guy before, and he was he was actually a lot of fun, and we exchanged a lot of humor and so on. At one point, something was brought up that made him ask what I did for a living because he didn't know. And I turned it into a guessing game. And of course, I knew that they'd never guess, he and his um, physician's assistant. So then they finally came into the uh, 
when they finally found out what I did, and you know, oh, really? Yada, yada, yada. What's that about? And this guy, this doctor said, um, well, what kind of Christian are you? And I said, well, I'm part of a Methodist church. He said, well, what is that? He said, you know, I'm not really up to snuff on that. Are you progressive? It was interesting how that word came up there <laughs> because it was very important to him to locate me on a spectrum of some sort. And I said, well, I suppose you could call me that. And the, and the uh, physician's assistant said, well, that church I could go to. Exactly quoting what you just said. <laughs> yeah, it was very funny. You hear it all the time. Exact quote. Yeah. Uh, one last question uh, so off the topic. Off that label? <laughs> well, you're I'm not. I don't. That label, but you're also going to have some people that go, "Oh, really? You're you're okay." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not allergic to the word. I just, you know, it's, <laughs> a, it's just an interesting thing. It's like to your point earlier. You have to know your terms. That's all. Right. But just a quick question. Yep. I have a very good friend, Becca Stevens, who was the founder of Thistle Farms in Nashville. Do you know Becca? And if you don't, you need so to, you need to go ahead. I, I think we're friends on Facebook. I don't know that I've met Becca, but I, Thistle Farms, uh, the cafe, I'm in there quite a bit. It's okay. Wonderful. I, you, you need to introduce yourself to Becca. She's uh, she's worth knowing. She's worth knowing. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, Josh, for this conversation. Really appreciate it. It does me good to, to feel some confidence in another generation that is taking the church forward. I, um, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much. I had an absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Thanks, buddy. 